Hey everyone, it's Tom Krads, and I cannot believe we're doing this, but we are having a whole podcast episode about, you ready for it? Life insurance. A few years ago, we thought we would think that'd be crazy to talk about life insurance. We thought life insurance was crazy. Nick and I always just bought term life insurance. We were convinced we would never buy anything else. Then a few years ago, on the advice of someone we really trust a lot, he told us to investigate whole life insurance and explain some of the reasons why it might be important, especially as real estate investors, as you begin to accumulate a portfolio when it comes to legacy planning and estate planning, whole life insurance apparently does some really amazing things. And we were sold and we bought some ourselves and we thought we should share this with you because we discounted life insurance so greatly. I just remember vivid arguments with the guy that that was selling it to us, who is, he's the guy that's on this episode talking about inflation adjusted dollars and the money we were going to get for this, but we ended up proceeding with it anyway. So we're very grateful to have Sean Moore on this podcast to chat. He's very, very knowledgeable. We literally just scratched the surface of what he knows on this topic. So uh, Sean, thanks for coming out if you're listening to this and listen, If you are listening to this episode and you want to check out the membership that we run here at Rockstar, you can check out all the benefits and everything we do with something we call the Rockstar Inner Circle at www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. In the last few months, I think we've put out more training classes and listen, all our training classes that we do and they've been all virtual over the last several months are all live and they're all with different experts in their field. So we have our accountant come on. Um, We have our paralegal come on. We've had our lawyers come on. We've had our mortgage brokers and bankers come on. We have different property management management experts come on. Different members of the Rockstar team come on to talk about student rentals and multi-unit investing and uh, duplexes and second suites and how to increase increase your uh, revenue on different properties. And with the real estate market changing so rapidly, we feel this information is more important than ever. Listen, about three or four years ago, we started explaining to the Rockstar our team here internally, that there's about a 10 year window left where I would, what I would say is the average or typical Canadian is going to be able to go buy a property in the entire golden horseshoe. And after that window, it's going to get a lot more difficult. And this is happening in real time right now. The way the demand is for property in this particular part of the world is absolutely incredible. So if you want to learn more about real estate investing, even if you're not ready to begin yet, you want to check out the membership, you can go to www www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member and check out all the benefits that you get as a Rockstar Inner Circle member. That's it. Let's get started with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Sean Moore. Sean, am I saying your last name properly? Yeah, you know what? It's it's actually an old Scottish translation. So there's You're Scottish? Yeah. We're yeah. half Scottish. Well, there you go. Another oh another God. level of camaraderie. Yeah, so it, it's Moore, Muir, Moyer. It's oh. all the same name. It just, you know, who wrote Super it down, dope. how they translated it, right? Got it. Okay. You know what? Pull Wait. the mic nice and close to you. You can't butcher order. it as much as Karad's has been butchered over my lifetime. So. You know what? That's so phonetic, though. It's not It's not like it's difficult. Oh, gosh. Now, we get Karadaza. Yeah. Karadaza a lot. Karadaza a lot. And then it was Karazda. The, the, the Z Karazda. and the D always get flipped around. I, I got that all the time, too. Yeah, Karazda was a big one. You know who never messed it up is Ed. Ed always said Karadza right from the get-go. Oh, yeah. He's a it is really, if, it's just the way you, you just read it normally. Yeah. But yeah, people add, people added letters. The Karadaza one, well, I was like, hey, where do you get that from? There's, there's no A. Yeah. There's no extra A in there, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, glad to hear you the, You can hear me okay, Nick, so we're good to go. Um, Sean, uh, what, uh, um, I've lost track now. Well, I was going to say, when your dad was here last time, because I think we did something with you and your dad maybe, mm-hmm. I feel like a year and a half ago. And what I remember from that conversation was something about a pond that is really dark. And he yes. put a fishing line in the pond. And I can't remember the end of the story or how it worked, but I just remember, wow, we're using a pond to explain you got, some of this. You got so caught up in the analogy and visualizing yeah, yeah. it. I forgot the concepts that we're trying to explain. Well, John, John's a, a great storyteller, but I think what he was saying is essentially... You know, when, when you get an amateur fisherman, they maybe don't necessarily know the pond very well. So they're just going to, they see some fish on the surface. So they just throw it over there and they, they you know, they, they play in that shallow end of the pond. But if you have an experienced fisherman, he goes deep into the lake. He finds 
where the best fish are because he's been fishing that pond for 20 years. And that's why you want a professional in your life. Oh, got it. And that's why we want a life insurance advisor. Now, there you and go. I never thought we would bring on a life insurance advisor onto this podcast. So we appreciate that shows you how much we think of you. I and, appreciate that. And, you know, we should tell everybody that, Sean, you have done insurance for myself and Nick. And we thank you for all that that work that you've done. And Not yet. I don't thank you yet. I'll see how, that, <laughs> and how it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, I think for part of the insurance, Nick, you won't be here to yeah, find out how it yeah. turns out. But oh, I can't. Be, I can haunt you. I can <laughs> What's that noise in the attic? That's yeah. Nick complaining about the inflation-adjusted dollars being yeah. paid. Off. I just no. Remember. That would be you pissed off about that. I'd just be pissed off about the thing, the whole thing in general. Do you remember? I just remember when you were you were so patiently explaining these life insurance policies, and I just remember thinking, inflation-adjusted. These dollars are going to be worthless to me. It's going to be nothing. Forget it. But to you, in your defense. We still bought the policy from you. So I forget how it all got explained. Before before we get in, into the whole life insurance and real estate stuff, I can't even remember. How did you get into this line of work? Was that because your father was in it and he dragged you in? No, it, it was actually my, my doctor, actually, because I, I have a deep love for theater. And, and that's what I attended university for. I feel like I you are very dramatic growing when you up. speak. Yeah, a I little bit. Like, I mean, yeah. my, my dad gave me uh, the radio voice. That was genetics, I, I guess you could say. But no, I, growing up, I was very much into theater and I, I wanted to be an actor. And uh, I remember around you know, 1920, I was having a, a checkup with my doctor and he 1920. said, 1920, you know, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? Right. When, when I was 1920 years old. Yeah. What do you, oh, what do you oh wanna... I thought in 1920, I go, dude, <laughs> I've, you I've are looking well. great, man. <laughs> so around, around 19 or 20 years old, I, I had this checkup with my doctor and he said, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to be an actor, right? You know, very confidently as any, uh, you know, 19 or 20 year old would, yeah, yeah. who's 19 or 20 would. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, well, let me, let me give you a piece of advice. He said, it's a bit of a joke. What's the difference between an actor and a 12 slice pizza? I don't know. Yeah. One can feed a family of four. Yeah, got it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's probably good advice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I mean, going through university. So and, you're a practical guy then. You took that advice and ran with it. A little bit, a little bit. And going through university and, you know, kind of just seeing all the talent around you as well. And you realize, well, hey, there's only like one person in 10,000 that actually can make this as a as a, an actual career but how many people do I know and, and how many local community theater productions have I been in and so my dad said well I've been self-employed my entire life and one of the advantages of being self-employed is that you you can control your own schedule you can control your work-life balance a little bit better and, and then you can you can do theater on the side so you know I've always been very close with my dad and it was just natural for for us to sort of continue his his uh, working career where he had had a business he'd retired he was at home with my mom in the kitchen, you know, maybe rubbing shoulders a bit too much. And and basically, he said, I need to get out of the house. Mom said, your dad needs to get out of the house. And uh, he said, well, why don't we why don't we try this? Why don't we you know, put together five years and we'll, we'll you know, we'll go out and we'll meet good people and we'll we'll shake hands and we'll establish partnerships and we'll. We'll do financial work together. And he uh, very eloquently tricked you into getting this, into the life insurance business. So so I'm like I'm I'm five <laughs> years into it and then and then he says, Well, you know, let's let's maybe forge a little bit more of a, an equal partnership. So I won't be making all the decisions and you've learned so much and you've you've attained some certain licenses, so let's, you know, work more hand in hand for the next five years. Then now I'm ten years into it and he says to me, You know, I think, you know, maybe you know a few things now. Maybe here or there you know something more than me. Maybe. So why don't you start to take the lead? And, and, you know, now it's incredible. We've been working together for 15 years. And, you know, I've been basically doing this since I turned, uh, you know, 20. And uh, now here I am. And, and it's it's just natural. And it's I, so after five years, you were like, he's like, oh, I'll dangle a more, more of a carrot. Yeah. And keeps him yeah. five more years. Yeah. And then you've put in 10 years by that point. You're like, damn it. I've put in 10 years. I can't yeah. get out of here now. I'm screwed. I'm, I'm not going to start acting I've, I've invested 10 years into this. I might as well kind of stick it out. Well, and you wouldn't believe how many times I've actually used that same logic when it comes to life insurance. Because life insurance, you know, oftentimes we're we're big proponents of limited pay policies. And, you know. Well, first, you already lost me. First, yeah. You already lost yeah. me. The first thing you said about life insurance, I'm gone. Well, the, the, the first couple of limited pay basically means like you're only going to pay for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and then your payments are done. So it's not one of these things like most life insurances. People sort of imagine that they have to perpetually pay it forever. Limited pay just means a, a set period of time. So, you know, in the beginning, people are enthusiastic. We've had many months of conversations. They're ready to go. They've, they've made the investment. And then, you know, sometime around year five, they've sort of forgotten about it, you know, like not too far from where you guys are now, but oh, then they're they, like, this is sucks. Yeah. Why am I keep writing Why this am I check? Writing and this I'm check? Like, <laughs> but then I point to that end zone and I say, well, Hey, you know, this is only going to be for 10 years and you've already made five investments. 
why don't you just make the other five investments? You're already halfway there, right? So it's kind of that logic <laughs> so you're using, a little bit. A we're little not bit on unlimited pay. You are. Yeah. Oh, are we? Yeah, yeah. Are. yeah. <laughs> we are. At least I know that much of it. <laughs> we're, we're 20 years old, Nick's, right? Nick's counting the, the, yeah, counting yeah, the yeah, clock yeah, down. Yeah. Right. I, just, I just hand over the check and shake my head every time. No, I, I shouldn't say that. We're, we're grateful for it. But back to the acting thing, before we go uh, forward on this thing, how hard is it to get... What what where were you doing stuff in school? Were you acting in a college, a university, or something? Oh, I mean, I was very fortunate. You know, obviously, my dad was very successful in his first career, so he put me into a private school, Ridley College in St. Catharines. And one of the reasons why I begged him to go there was because they had like a five hundred seat theater with uh, you, you know, were crazy all in stage. On this. And oh yeah, so and I then, and did you get some of the lead? Like, I guess your your goal is to get like a leading role. I mean, right from the first year I was there, yeah, I was I was fortunate that people. Obviously, thought I had some modicum of talent, and so modicum yeah, grade eight, uh, grade eight, I began. Uh, I was the lead in the middle school play, and then we moved to grade nine. And somehow, this this fine gentleman who's uh, a Rhodes Scholar, his name is Mr. Colin Brzezicki, and I always have a tremendous amount of respect for him and the faith that he had in me. He cast me as Jay in Lost in Yonkers, which is uh, a Neil Simon play, and it's almost uh, two hours worth of stage time. And there I was, in grade nine, and he said, "The role is yours." And I said, "Okay, what do I do now?" <laughs> And uh, I remember, bless his heart, you know, because there were so many lines and he had me going right up until the week before opening. And uh, of course, you know, it's in Yonkers, so that's a, it's a pretty established accent. And most of the rehearsals, I was just being me, you know, doing the lines. And then it was like, okay, okay now we have to work on the accent. And it's like a week before opening. And, but he had the faith and, and it was a great production. And the, the most embarrassing thing about the whole thing is because I was on stage for basically the whole time. Uh, I had many layers of costuming going on at once. And I remember these old corduroys I had as one pair of pants and the next scene involved being in bed. So I had pajamas underneath the corduroys. And one time I go out on stage and I didn't realize that my fly was down on the corduroys and the pajamas are sticking out through the, uh, through the zipper. And it was just quite obvious. And you know, you get backstage <laughs> oh, and uh, you know, everybody's ripping the cords off and you're getting ready to go to the next state, the next scene. And you're like, Oh, I guess that was down the whole scene. <laughs> it's funny. I could just see when you're talking about this, you still love this stuff. I mean, so if you had the opportunity Maybe it's something you'll do in the future. Who knows? Well, to be honest, uh, just before, unfortunately, everything started with COVID, I was actually in the middle of a production. We were awesome. we were just uh, building the set, and we'd been doing a couple months of rehearsals at, at, at the Village Theater in Waterdown. And, uh, yeah, we just had to pull the plug. You got a lot of guts. Yeah. So you went back into the, you, like, you walk into this, did you apply to, to try a, a try oh, a, yeah. what was it called? Cast? No. Audition? Audition, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, I've had many, many auditions in, in my life. Some of them very successful. Some of them I, I look back on now and I go, whoa, I was, you know, significantly underprepared for that. Um, you know, one of them was my, my dad flew me out to uh, Montreal to audition for the National Theatre School. And uh, that's crazy. You know, there's like 10,000 applicants a year. They accept 19 people. And, uh you know, people not just not just university age, but like people who are in their thirties. Um, you know, who who are still trying to make it, and and you know, it's so such a respected school. And I remember going, and they said, you know, kid, you've got some talent, but maybe come back when you're a bit older and you've, you've got a, a bit more life experience. And uh, you know, obviously, I didn't, but uh, that was that was a fun experience because you know, you just see some of the people who who've gone through there. Um, it was cool that your parents supported you. I'd be like, nope, here's what you're doing instead. Well, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I know what his father was up to. Let's get this out of his system now. Audition yeah. to all of these and things. Then start Let's with, I'll start him in five-year increments. Yeah, then I'll do my five-year five increment plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the, the thing is, and, and I'm always trying to support kids getting into the arts because, you know, I, I was somewhat shy when I was younger. And, and being in the arts and being, you know, taught to communicate and to listen, actively listen, you know, that then made me prepared for life. So in business now, when I'm having a, a meeting with clients, and I think why we have such long-term lasting relationships with all our clients is because they feel they're, they're being listened to. And what actors won't necessarily always tell you is that they're not always sure what their next line is when they're on stage. But if they're a good actor, they're listening to their stage partner, and their stage partner's line will cue in their mind what the next line is, and it becomes natural. But that's, that's active listening. It's not just waiting for your turn to speak and then coming out with what the line is. It's actively listening to what that other person is saying. And then the response has to be natural because if it's a well-written play, of course, the response to each line is going to make sense. It's going to drive the story. It's going to make things functional. And so in business, to me, that's that's absolutely necessary is that the conversational skill, the service business like, like real estate, like life insurance, like investments, like accounting. You have to not just know the technical side of the business, but you really have to understand the the emotional human connection. 
And that's something that I, I believe will, will never be replaced. You know, as they talk about AI and, uh, and ro- you know, robo-investing and, and online discount brokerages and things like that, you, you can't replace the human relationship and the need that we all have to, to be understood and to listen and to communicate. And, and I, I think that natural innate thing in me comes from theater uh, considerably. Wow, that's so cool. Awesome, man. Jesus. So maybe like, reconsider, you know, letting, uh, well, I learned letting your how to daughter com- take I, up dance and, and yeah. things, Nick. Well, see, I, I think I learned how to communicate with people not in theater or school in a flea market. So mm, that's yeah. that's that's yeah. my experience. Arguing with people about Arguing prices people. over the table. Well, yeah. And what for me, it was just understanding the different cultures because I couldn't believe the difference in how the standard communication was done from people with different cultures of the different flea markets because depending on the location if the, of that market there was um, the there are different people like the, yeah, the ethnic groups around around that right? so the, and uh, I, I'll just never forget it. it was totally different like when you know in uh, by the Dr. Flea's flea market uh, was a lot different than the one out in Pickering and the one out in Pickering it was like you just didn't negotiate as much people mm-hmm. just kind of paid the price there was a little bit of negotiation or whatever whereas a doctor flees because of from that culture they're used to, to negotiating for everything you ask for a hundred bucks they give you like I'll give you 20 <laughs> you know that's the difference whereas whereas like and a I lot think of people we were also used to negotiating because of our father yeah from an we Eastern European I think that's where and that's how he you grew never up accepted the stuff. first number when people accept the first number I'm always like a little surprised but like, when we started investing on the, um, in Hamilton this is an early uh, like you know way back one of the first offers we put on, we like offended someone and they just declined it and didn't write back. And to us, we're, yeah, we we're, were so confused. We're like, what do you mean they're offended? We're like, you know, I forget what it was listed. I was like listed at whatever, 200 grand and we offered 180 or something. It I wasn't almost, like we were out I to almost, lunch, right? I almost think that's like a British mentality. Like when anytime, I don't know if that's what comes from Britain or something like that. I, I feel like if you offend someone, they're not going to write back from different parts of the yeah. world and I feel like sometimes it's I don't know now I'm just picking on the British but who knows <laughs> our mom's Scottish that qualifies as us that's us wow. yeah. damn it I don't know. I no we were conquered really, yeah. yeah yeah the Scottish were conquered I don't know if that holds in so but I don't yeah, know if so I, I offended tra- anybody there or not because we're partly we're, we're partly in that realm so I have no formal training but I have haggling at the flea market experience yeah that's where yeah. <laughs> that's well, you, where you, you developed sand right that's or grit that's that's what matters I think in, yeah. in negotiation yeah it was fun times man there's way more lessons in that than uh, oh. Than, oh my gosh. than I realized at the time how for much sure. we learned from the flea market how much we learned from dealing with con- uh, on construction sites Oh, yeah. smokes. I learned to communicate by yelling at people on the construction site. Because <laughs> if you didn't yell, and part of that is true, is because if you did not raise your voice and show, that was a sign of strength. Mm-hmm. So if you tried to negotiate at just a, a, you know, a level voice, you were just overrun by people yelling at you. So you actually had to yell back, and that was a sign of strength. It was really weird. And if you yelled loud enough, people just really thought you, you were powerful, and they would listen to you. And this would be all or- arguing over um, electricity. Because if you were plugged in and you had power for your screw gun, someone else would come and plug out your, this is back before cordless stuff, unplug you. And then you would have to go and unplug them. And this yelling match would then ensue in the hallway of a condominium that's been built on the 15th floor. And it was just a disaster. Anyway, well, we're, we're way off topic. We are, but why I'm laughing is because we tried the same principles when we were building the office on, on site. We're you know treating it still like it's an old school construction site. And the super on site, he's like, you know, I know where you guys are coming from because I've realized that world, but... He was not really like that anymore. anymore. Someone else told me that on construction. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine yeah. who does all the big road projects around Toronto. He's like, Tom, that 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 type of construction environment, that's long gone. Yeah. It's not like that anymore. I was like, oh, really? No, so everything evolves. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing stands still. So, okay, so you get involved in the whole life insurance uh, thing. The question we have in the area I want to explore with you a little bit is, is we get a lot of questions around legacy or like if I have a bunch of property, can I somehow use ins- life insurance policies to help with that transition? And I know that's a big subject, but when when I say that to you, what's the first thoughts that come to mind? Is that possible? How would you structure it? Yeah, it's it's absolutely possible. I think one of the important first distinctions that we we always like to try to draw to people is there's two type of types of insurance. And I'm not even going to get complicated or technical here. I'm just going to say there's insurance that you need and there's insurance that you want. And most people, when they think of insurance, is something that they need. It's risk mitigation. It's so you know, here I have a mortgage or, or I have a financial obligation to somebody else or I have young kids and I need insurance in case something happens. And that's, that's all risk mitigation. What you're talking about is more like I want. I want to create wealth. I want to have a tax opportunity 
in my my family's sphere of all their collections of assets to help protect it to to move from one generation to the other to become perpetual and and that's the type of insurance that i i most like talking about because it's where you get to be a little bit more creative and it's it's where you get like you know like both with with you and and tom and with nick where you know you wanted by the time it came that, that you were ready to move forward with the, the process you wanted to have the insurance and and it wasn't like other policies that you'd had in the past where you needed it it was it was a different mindset it was about establishing a legacy it was about having an additional diversifying asset Yeah, because before it was i had read a bunch of books myself and i'm like well i'll always just going to get term life insurance policies because i'm not going to pay some whole life insurance policy where there's an investment component and they're going to invest in some mickey mouse mutual funds and i can do better investments for myself i'll get the cheaper policy why am i going to pay more for this whole policy and then any extra money i save i'll used to like help me buy property or do some other investments and that's it so you were the first person to really sit down with and it was on i mean dennis legoe has now passed but Mm -hmm. you know we thank him so much for the advice and his son-in-law andrew topping is now our accountant and it was really on their advice that we talked to you so we had respected them a lot so when you came into the picture we were we were warm to the idea Mm -hmm. but it was still foreign to us yeah and 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 god rest dennis because that was that was a great fortuitive relationship for uh, for everybody because you know it gave it gave john and i a chance to meet you both and then it also allowed us to to further our relationship with andrew and the uh, the lagoe professional corp and and all the people who are at that that great office it was really you know early days for us in that relationship and uh you know, you guys were actually one of the one of the early policies and one of the deals. We were the, we were the guinea pigs. Great, great to know. We were the guinea. I just remember sitting in that big boardroom in your office, going, mm-hmm. "What are we doing? What is happening well, here?" And you know, I've been. I've Dennis been came with us and sat through that whole meeting, mm-hmm. and I, I think like, that meeting cow. was. I, can, mm-hmm. I feel like it was almost three hours or something. I was I was dying oh, our, to get out of there. Our, our meetings are uh, <laughs> are always long. They're, they're both both John and I can be a bit verbose, and and there's such such depth and, and complication to the. Uh, to the policies, and it's it's funny because we don't use that boardroom very often because you know it is a little bit, you know, intimidating and, and impactful. And uh, it's funny, with COVID, we've actually been using it more and more because it's kind of the perfect environment where you can sit at opposite ends of the table and, and you actually have the pro- appropriate amount of space between, you know, people for, for, uh, for a good in-person conversation. But, uh, but just I, di- I digress about that. And I'll, I'll switch back to talking, you know, about like what you're saying, yeah, yeah. you know, wealth, wealth transfer and, and, and guarding, you know, your assets against the, the tax department. Because, you know, I think what people don't often realize, and, and it's funny because there's an old joke that's, you know, there's two things in life that are certain, death and taxes. And that's why you get life insurance, because death is certain and taxes are certain. And so how do you, you know, plan for that? It's not it's not combating, it's, it's planning. Um, you know, whether or not you're going to invest in the premiums of a life insurance policy or whether or not you're going to be without insurance and pay the taxes associated with with the transference of, of wealth, somebody has to be paid. There has to be an expense. It's not like this is a, a situation that can be avoided. So what we often talk about is, you know, plan for it instead. Set aside a, a series of investments. You know, while you're while you're young, while you have income, while you've you've got properties that that are kicking off rental income and especially if you've been established at, at buying properties for a while and your mortgages aren't, you know, completely loaded up to the teeth and you're not worried about, you know, whether, whether you're going to make the next payment. If you have excess cash flow, one of the best places to diversify yourself is into a life insurance policy because whole life insurance is treated very favorably by the, by the tax department. What do you mean by that? So first of all, the, the death benefit associated with it when it pays out in the end is, is pretty much considered to be tax-free. If it's a personal policy and you own it personally, it's 100% um, tax-free. So if you get a policy, you pass away, mm-hmm. the money that comes from that policy, whoever receives that's not paying on tax. It's not thrown into your estate and taxable. Correct. It, it is. It is. And in fact, if it's set up properly and there's a named beneficiary, it doesn't even enter your estate. How, how, what does set up properly mean? Just naming the beneficiary? <laughs> naming like the beneficiary, yeah. Okay. yeah. If, you, okay. if you don't name a specific beneficiary, what ends up happening is it does go to your estate and then it's part of your will. And as we all know, wills must go you know, to probate because the tax or so the, the court system wants to make sure that the will is being executed properly. And that's what probate is. It's really a, an administrative cost 
so that the estate. I, don't know. I think the government still wants to make sure that the tax. I, I mean, let's be fair here. I think the government wants to make sure the tax is being paid properly too. There might be two reasons it's going to court. Well, so I mean, let's. There's, there's certainly a, Sean's there. very politically correct. <laughs> yeah. when he, and but you said that I just let's just call BS where there's BS. I know yeah. this isn't your BS. It's the government yeah. BS. But yeah. Well, Sean also said that it's not combative, combative to get life insurance. It's you know you're planning, mm-hmm. and in my view, it's combative. <laughs> so I'm like I'm fighting the government here. I'm getting this in policy because I'm fighting the government. But to some people, that, said, that I mean that really drives them they're like you know what i don't want to pay a cent more than i have to and if i can find a way to well, but it's just it. for your kid it's basically to leave assets to your kids because then they don't have to because when you if you're leaving any assets they're going to get taxed they're deemed to what is a disposition yeah, on deemed that? disposition mm-hmm. right so then they they take the new value of it they're going to tax you through the teeth let's be honest taxes are only going up they're, they're printing money like it's going out of style here they're, they're handing out free money to everyone so you know someone's going to pay for that sooner or later so ta- uh, the chances of taxes going down are probably slim to none and so then they that that helps that your kids or whoever you're leaving it to pay for the taxes afterwards. So basically, you're paying into actually, Tom. Now, when you think about it like this, you're paying in today's dollars future tax future taxes. You might not be so good after all. You might be able to use those tax those dollars for something else. I know that's why I'm saying inflation adjusted. No matter way, which way I look at it, it's kind of like so you're paying the taxes for your kids now on death like isn't that what like and truly isn't that what it is because that's what ended up selling me on it i'm like okay i get it the kids are getting the benefit they're gonna get some cash if i leave them some stuff they're gonna be happy because they pay no tax on it then they're probably just gonna go liquidate it all and go party in vegas for a few months or whatever it is and it's all gone well i'm sure everybody here is familiar with the concept and and the sort of phrase cash is king right everybody's heard that Mm -hmm. well why is cash king because it provides you with the greatest degree of flexibility you can do whatever you want with cash it's the ultimate fungible thing. You can exchange it for anything. And especially if it's, you know, a, a respected currency, like, you know, US There are those. Or, there are some. Well, there, oh, I mean, okay. we can, we can get into Go that. On. We can we can get into that debate a little bit differently <laughs> and talk about how, you know, printing money and and inflation and how that, you know, helps help lower long term. I think debt. Sean's but, on board with us with this discussion. But anyway, keep going. Keep going. But besides that, essentially what a, a, a death benefit payout from a life insurance policy does is it provides your heirs, your beneficiary with cash. And what you don't want to see is you've built up, let's say, a real estate empire and you've got, you know, these these properties that you've, you know, you've owned and maybe you've put them inside a corporation, which is, you know, especially effective when it comes for, for having multiple properties and wanting to keep them for multiple generations. You don't want to have to sell those properties to pay taxes. So instead, you'd much rather have liquid cash on hand to be able to take care of obligations. And that's why life insurance is such an important planning tool is because it provides cash at a time when it's when it's most needed. And when it's most most wanted. So, can, and I know none of us are accountants here, but can we break that down? When it's, when someone passes away and leaves behind an asset base, there's this probate thing that's happening, and there's a probate tax. I think I'm saying that properly. Right. So it's like an administrative cost, right? So essentially, you want to have the court look through the will and look through what is being executed by the executor on the will and make sure that it's lining up properly, and that nobody has been, you know, unduly. Uh, penalized and that the beneficiaries are being properly represented, you know, with the will. So again, you know, just to go back to that previous train of thought, life insurance, when you name a beneficiary, that's not something that goes into the will. It supersedes the will and goes outside of the will. And so that's, that's an issue where there's no probate applied to life insurance proceeds because it's not even part of the will. And the will, the probate is not a, it's not an inheritance tax. It is specifically an administrative tax applied to executing a will. And so anything that falls outside of that, there's no probate okay. associated with but it. But is, so the, and is the correct damage. way to think of this, that there's going to be this probate action on the estate, but also on the pro, whatever's in the estate, there's this deemed disposition that is, you know, if I have a bunch of properties, the government's going to say, well, you're transferring them over at a certain cost and tax has to be paid on this transfer of property. And that's the, the deemed disposition and there's tax on that. It's almost two separate things. Or am I thinking about that incorrectly? No, it, 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 is, it is two separate things. Yeah, okay. One Can of them you just is, map that out a little yeah, bit Yeah, one of them is an administrative cost. It's, it's courts looking at a document and making sure that that document is being executed in good faith. And we're paying the courts for that help. Essentially. Yeah, yeah. okay. On thank, the other thank side, thank you, courts. We on the, appreciate your assistance. With on this. the other side of things, you have you have the CRA looking at it and saying there was an owner. Yeah, that's what I was talking. That about. owner, you know, was was Jimmy, and Jimmy has deceased and has passed it to his his daughter Sandy, and therefore there's a new owner. And anytime anything changes hands and there's a new owner involved, there must be a realization of you know the capital gains associated with it, and 
that's a deemed disposition. It's being disposed of by Jimmy and given to Sandy. And so that disposition triggers a sale from one person to another. And that's, that's always done at a fair market value that's, you know, respected and, and, and as if it were being transferred to a, you know, a third party. And at that time, there's, there's taxes owed. Now, if you own your real estate personally, that sort of takes place for each individual property, right? If you own a corporation, what you're really doing is you're actually passing the shares of that corporation from, you know, Jimmy to Sandy. So it's not necessarily, you know, each individual property that's within that corporation. It's the total corporation's value, you know, which is being updated and, and accounted for each year with the, the financial statements done on the, on the corporation. And again, you can own life insurance within a corporation, and sometimes that makes a tremendous amount of sense, especially if it's an operating company, because operating companies, you know, the taxes you pay on your operating business are considerably less than a passive business. And so if you have maybe uh, what we call like 85 cent dollar, you know, like you've, you've made operating income, you've paid the small business tax rate, let's say you've got 85 cents left over, whereas if you made that money personally, Maybe you're in the highest tax bracket and you've got 50 cents left over. So it's a lot easier to invest in a life insurance policy with 85 cents than it is with 50 cents. And, you know, for you two gentlemen, of course, we set it up within your corporations because that's exactly part of the methodology that, that made sense. And then with a, a life insurance owned within a corporation, you have to make the corporation the uh, beneficiary in order to be set up properly. And so the death benefit gets paid into the corporation. And now the corporation has excess capital. And then what has to happen at that time, and I can see Tom's eyes starting to glaze over a little bit. What, what happens at that time is there's, there's He's something. Right. He's right. He's totally right. Oh there's God. something called a. Uh, you know what I was, the whole time I was thinking? It's not 85 cent dollars. It's more because the, the tax rate, small business tax rate is down to 12 and a half percent. It's actually like 87 and a half. I'm like, this is gr-. Like, it's amazing. The tax. I'm still stuck on the probate tax. <laughs> Not probate, sorry. When, when, like the CRE after Ad, what, what was Administrative it? cost. I like it. Sean's the adult of this three. So the, well, because I'm just like, the, how, how, because the, like rest of the, the two of us are just I'm like, lost. how does this tax thing come into play? Because they're taxing you when you get it. They're taxing it during the time that you own it. They're taxing it when you die. I'm like, who agreed to this well, shit? You know, listen, when you get paid, if you're ma- or making an income, you get taxed on the income that you make. Yeah. The employer is also paying different taxes to pay you I, to no, the I, government. I know, then, because when the, the checks that we so, send so in every month, I'm like, where does all employer, this money go? So the employer is paying taxes uh, you know, on, the, on the, that income. But then the person who receives the income, once they've paid the tax, then they go to the store and they buy stuff. And they're taxed on what they buy. But if you're buying stuff like gas, the, the tax is built into the gas price. But, so you're technically being taxed in there. But at the end of the day, we're all working for a dollar. And if you're earning personally, the amount of money that you actually have to get ahead is minuscule. It's crazy. And it's why we are, you know, uh, Alexandra's sitting here with us. It's why we had this big rant. Nick, you missed it this morning. I was just going off on like real estate and the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve. I've been pissed off for two straight days, so don't worry. (laughs) So so the whole bit. But I want to get back to the glazing over part. Yeah, yeah, he was about to say something really smart, I think. So so what I was going to say is when when a a death benefit is paid into a a corporation, there's there's an event that's triggered that creates a capital dividend account within the corporation. And what that essentially means is that the shareholder can withdraw up to that capital dividend an equal amount. And so if you've, if you've got a life insurance policy, that death benefit will, will usually be able to be drawn out by the shareholder without any taxes because there's a capital dividend associated with it. Yeah, that's the bit that I kind of, I, I understood. Like I was like, okay, now I get it. And I was like, okay, the reason I, I went for this, and, and and you can also borrow against these things, which is mind, right. mind-boggling to me, like because mm-hmm. then you just... But the bank goes into first position, so when it gets paid out, the bank gets part of the, the, the proceeds. And yeah, it's, it's, it's called assignment. You basically just assign the policy to a, a bank. Now, here's an interesting thing. You know, you, you gentlemen obviously love real estate, and you know, I too love real estate. I was saying that Tom actually just picked up my, I, my first I, I'm home not, I don't love year, real estate but, as so. much as I just like what it does for me. I, I'd like anything that gives me the same benefits, really. Well, well and then, then this, is, this is what often people are surprised about and they love, is when you go to a bank and you ask to assign your house to a bank, oftentimes, until you get into, like, you know, CDIC insurance and things like that, the most they really want to lend you is 80 cents on the dollar. And really, if they're going to do a line of credit for you... You mean loan, like loan to value on the property? Value. Yeah, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. If, if, if you're going to do a line of credit, it's actually closer to 65 cents on the dollar, right? Now, if you take a whole life insurance policy and you go into a bank and you say, you know, I want to assign this policy, they'll actually lend you up to 90 cents on the dollar. And in some cases, you know, if you work with a, a bank that's associated with a life insurance company and they really understand how secure these assets, they may even loan up to 100 
cents on the dollar. Really? Yeah. So, so, so life insurance is considered grade A collateral. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And banks. Oh, you're I, all about collateral lately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Totally. But no. But but what banks know how to do this? I feel like if I walked into the bank branch where where we we do business and I said, Hey, I got this life insurance policy. I want you to lend lend against it up to ninety cents on the dollar here. I feel like they would just say, Listen, we don't know what the heck you're talking about, and leave. Well, I mean, and and, and this is this is why I'm such a proponent of, of working with professionals because you have people. Who, who have established a framework and a business uh, you know, construct. And, and one of the things that we always talk about, you know, John and I and Team Moyer, is having access. And part of having access is having access to a professional who can explain a policy and what it does for you, but then also having access to that professional's associated network. You know, so we, we have a very good relationship with uh, a specific big, large bank and their private banking division. And they're very ready and very able and capable to assign using a life insurance policy. So you've seen this done? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah we we asked that before. I know. I'm like, I know I've asked we, that before. I'm always like curious. I'm like, really? This actually happens? I eventually <laughs> believed them. After we asked 10 straight times and they kept telling us yes, I'm like, I guess they're telling us the to truth. Your, to your credit, you were very patient with us. So, um, I mean... Uh, the, the thing about life insurance is that it, it you know, will will scratch the surface on this podcast, but it, it's a very complicated set of procedures. And, and you know, I just had a conversation with somebody recently and, and, and they said, oh, yeah, you know, my, my friend needs some life insurance and she wants to get into this, but she just doesn't quite understand it. And I feel like we're being rushed into the policy. And I said, listen, my average start time to finish time on a, on a proper whole life insurance policy is, is between six and nine months from the first conversation. Absolutely. To this, to the time that the policy is finally delivered, and Damn, even we, we should have taken longer then. No, we, we took we, pretty we, long. I think, I think it was six months. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe. I think, I think you guys are about seven and a half. Oh, oh you knows. think means you know, you know exactly. I, I remember when we decided. Nick walked in finally and said, "We got to get back to Sean and John about this stuff." And I'm like, and you said, "What are you thinking?" I'm like, you know what? I'm still lost on the thing. Just sign it. Let's just get it. I think enough good people are telling us it's important. Let's just get this thing. But that's but that's what I was about to say is that it, then it, that's when you just you know deliver the policy. But then there's another you know, 10, 15, 20 years that, that you, you should be reevaluating this on a regular basis to make sure that, you know, in fact, I, I remember, you know, we, we ran into each other at a, a real estate conference back in the in, uh, last summer. And he said to me, you know, Sean, we've been thinking about it and, and maybe our circumstances don't say have changed. Don't say it. We don't have enough insurance. <laughs> Did you, you must have said, 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 said that. I didn't say that. I said that too. And, yes, and, I said and, that too. And that's why you need to have, you know, regular touch-ins because people's, people's, situations change, right? They evolve. They maybe accumulate additional wealth, additional properties, and, and they need to have, you know, or they want to have more insurance to be able to, to cover against those, you know, future expenses and make that investment today that's going to be, you know, growing. And, and again, we were sort of talking about the, the tax treatment of life insurance, and it's, it's not just the death benefit that's tax-free. It's also the growth on the policy within the guidelines of the policy. That growth that compounds year after year after year is also tax-free as well. So it's one of the few investments, you know, outside of tax-free savings account and RSP, where the compounding of your wealth happens without taxation associated with it. So when does term life insurance come into play? Because we've been talking about what whole life universal is. It the same? Is, are those terms kind of interchangeable? Whole life and universal? Um, for the most part, what what's difference between the two is is your your degree of participation with the life insurance companies. So, you know, whole life and participation life are, are, are sort of very interchangeable. And that's where you are kind of, you know, you're making use of that, that life insurance company stable of properties, of fixed income, you know, instruments of, okay, of underwriting. So, and guidelines. then what's universal? Universal is basically more like an RSP where you have a, um, like your traditional mutual funds or index funds that you're buying within a policy. So you're you're not investing in so they're in similar operations. Yeah, yeah, similar, but you get access to different things with a whole life policy. And, then, well, so and, I, and universal life, you've got an index value associated with your investments within it. So it goes up and down, and it, it sort of undulates with what's happening in the general economy and the market. Undulates. I'm learning undulates. multiple words on this podcast. Wow, I like that one. So, undulates. Use it, in a, use it in a sentence now. You know what? Next week, your goal, Nick, is to use undulates in your common day conversation. It's already forgotten. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I actually made a wave motion. You can't see this on, on the audio podcast, but I, I made a wave motion with my hand because it's, you know, you can use undulate with with That, uh, that helps me understand the word, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of acting, right? You need to make sure that you get across the message with both the voice and the body. But uh, at any rate, it changes value from year to year, and it can increase and it can decrease. With whole life and, and participating life, what you're essentially doing is, is and I, I like to analogize it a little bit like a snowball, 
that's building up as it's rolling down a hill. And the snowball only gets bigger as it rolls down the hill because it's it's just expanding and collecting more and more. So it's less ri- less risk, more stable. It's it's yeah. considerably more stable. So you know, to go back to that collateral conversation we were having, a universal life policy, you might only get a bank lending you up to 50% of a life insurance policy that's a universal life. If you take a whole life in, as I mentioned, it could be you know 90%, maybe 100%. Because what's happening is you're taking your annual dividend credit that you receive in that policy and you're buying more prepaid insurance. Damn, and I when wish you, I wasn't. They should just send me the check. When, when you, well, <laughs> but then you don't get the compounding, right? When they send you the check directly, it's, it's taxable. Yeah. If you take that dividend check and you keep it within the policy and you buy more paid up insurance, your snowball gets bigger. And as your snowball gets bigger, that means next year you're entitled to a bigger dividend as well. I feel like I'm giving my kids enough. You know, a little snowball is enough to add on to everything else they're going to get. <laughs> but it's but remember, it's not just the kids as well. It's also the tax department, right? And and the fact that when you do pass your estate, you know, to the next generation, there there's going to be a deemed disposition. And do you want those assets disposed of at that time, or do you want your kids to continue farming that legacy? Yeah, and this that is a really important point because I think most people, or not most people, I did not understand that at the time of my passing. The estate might have to pay taxes to my to because of the tax that's going to be I'm going to owe to the government. I might have to sell off, or I won't be around, but my estate might have to sell off some assets and some properties Mm -hmm. to pay for the taxes. Well, and and let me ask you a question: Whenever you're forced into a sale with real estate, do you achieve the best price? Never. Right. When you have patience, Mm -hmm. and you can maybe upgrade the, the, the property here, you can wait for the totally. the right time of the seasonality of the market, et cetera, et cetera. You have time but on your side. But it's such right? a basic thing. I didn't even understand the basic uh, part of this, which was I'm going to have to pay tax. Mm-hmm. Like my state's going to have to pay. I didn't even understand that. I just thought that if for some reason I said in my will, these properties pass on to my children, they would get them. I, d- I was clueless that there's going to be this deemed disposition of everything I owe. They're going to be transferred at fair market value. And whoever's receiving them is going to owe the tax on the fair market value of whatever I'm passing on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It and sounds like a bit of a scam almost. Well, it, but, it's, but, but I know, listen, I'm not against paying taxes. I want an education system. I want my neighbor to have health care. I'm for taxes. Mm-hmm. But that part just freaked me out. I had no clue. And, and that's, again, why you need access to a professional to be able to, like, like I'm sure that conversation first came from Dennis and Andrew. It did. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. and then you said, well, okay, well, what can I do to, to arm myself, to arm my, my Basically kids? Basically to mitigate this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's where life insurance entered. In. And again, it comes back to that cash is king. So the life insurance pays out, you have the cash, and so you have, you have this cash, and you don't need to spend it on the taxes. But it certainly makes a lot more sense for you to spend that money on the taxes than it does for you to instantly list that property for sale, take the best bid at that particular month. I mean, what happens if you pass away in December? Mm-hmm. And your kids feel like, oh, hey, we need to put these houses up for sale. And then they're trying to sell them over Christmas and New Year. And, and the market can change really quick in 60 days, right? So if you know if, if they list it two months later, the mm-hmm. price might be very different. Yeah, and if they're good assets, it's a shame to get rid of a good income-producing asset too. You right. know, I, I mean, at least in, in my belief. And right? I just wouldn't like, want to put that burden on anyone either. You know, like you build, you build and, stuff and that's, up. And that's a really good point because most people, when they're naming their executors, they're naming friends or family. And it's actually, it's kind of a curse you're putting on them because especially if you've accumulated Jesus, a lot of, that sounds bad. well, I mean, if you've accumulated a lot of assets, to Indiana Jones right now, <laughs> well, check and make sure you're an executor for anybody, Tom, because you want to know, you know, this, if you, I think you probably you are, are for me, we are, for, yeah, yeah. No, we are for but both of us for our different people. You know, you, you are responsible then at that point to executing the will and you are, are acting on behalf of all the beneficiaries and it can become even more complicated if you're also a beneficiary because then do you have the other beneficiaries looking at you going is he skewing this in his favor etc cetera, etc cetera. so so listen when when somebody is being the executor of your will they're going to feel you know a lot more comfortable if if you if they know you also have life insurance at the same time and that if if that life insurance is has been you know set up in a in a planned manner to help take care of the taxes associated with an estate because then they don't have to rush into selling good assets and, and income producing assets. They have cash. And again, cash is king and that's what life insurance delivers. At, okay. What about the term life? Time. Let's go back to the, remember the question that I asked five minutes yeah, ago? Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's go back there. Okay. So the thing about term life is it's like, it's like renting, right? I'm sure you would give nobody the advice that renting is good. Right? So, but no, I, Except, I guess what I'm at, what I'm, yeah. Okay. Then what I'm asking is when is it like, because does it just exist for the benefit of the insurance company or yeah. is it, is there times when it actually does? does make sense. Sure. It, it makes sense if your budget is limited 
And often it makes sense when you're younger in life because, you know, like for instance, my, my wife and I, we just bought our first house and we have our first son and, and, you know, it's like, whoa, we have all these scary things that could happen to our son. We need, so I, I, I bought term life insurance. Why? Because I needed a very high death benefit and my budget, you know, I'm just taking on the expense of a new kid and a new house. My budget wasn't, you know, huge. So, you know, to get life insurance that was a permanent life insurance would have probably been four to five times the cost of just getting that okay. term insurance. So it covers your family. So if something happens to you or, or you know, it might, I think because that's why I got it. I think I got it enough to pay off the mortgage at that time when I got it mm -hmm. years ago. Because mm -hmm. that way if something happened to me, I know the family didn't have a mortgage on the property, on the house, and they were kind of taking care of that way, a little bit extra cash uh, mm -hmm. on top of it to handle some stuff. Exactly. And, and essentially, the reason why it's so inexpensive is because it's sort of a bit of a wager and you're wagering that you're going to pass during the time of that term, and the life insurance company is wagering that you're not going to pass during the time of that term. And guess what? They're in the business of understanding the, the likelihood and the, the outcome of that, and people get paid a tremendous amount of money and spend almost as long as becoming a doctor, becoming an actuary. I know someone that, that is an actuary, and the amount of time, I had no idea, until she went through it, I had no idea how much schooling Didn't and the length of the time they update the tables it recently because we're all living longer? They uh, did. That was right before we got our, our policies. It made yeah. more sense to get them before that or at, than well, after. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple of different. So there's life insurance actuary policies that are followed by the life insurance companies. And there's the life insurance actuary table that's followed by the CRA. And so for a long time, the CRA was following a very outdated uh, actuary where people were sort of more expected to pass on in their 60s or 70s rather than in their 80s. And so the tax advantages of life insurance were starting to become outsized because of that. And so they, they basically said, well, we need to clamp down on this and make sure it's well, not well, but so how, But how? CRA wasn't changing how you were taxed. Because essentially the, the amount of tax-free investment room within a life insurance policy is based on when you're going to pass. Oh, God. And it's the, like reverse engineered backwards. Yeah, I and, see. and the, the net cost of pure insurance associated with that. And sorry, these are you know extremely detailed technical terms within a whole life insurance policy. Oh, you're good. Or, Me and Nick are right on this. Any, we understand everything you're saying right now. Any, essentially, basically, the, the government was saying, you know, you need to set aside a lot of money to pay for the costs of your final years. And if those final years are expected to be in your 60s, well, then they're coming a lot sooner. So then you need to be able to save a lot more. But if they're coming in your 80s, then it's more of a gradual level of savings. So what happened, if you, if you want to think about like a, like a ramp, is the ramp was, was very much high uh, starting in, in the 50s and 60s. And what they did was they essentially lowered the one side of the ramp so that it was much lower in your 50s and 60s because you were expected to live so much longer. So compounding had a, had a greater effect. So basically what they did was they made it so you couldn't put as much tax sheltered in a, uh, in a permanent life insurance Okay, policy. and then without sharing the dollar values that Nick and I got, let's keep at least some information in our lives private. Uh, without sharing that, how do you look at someone and try to figure out how much life insurance they should get? Is there like a general kind of formula you look at, like assets they own, potential tax? Tax on those assets get a policy to cover that tax. Yeah, that's that's you know absolutely mandatory. It's basically called a needs analysis, and what you're what you're doing is you're taking a look at at wants and needs. Again, you know we it always comes back to wants and needs. It comes back to your 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 individual budget, your cash flow. It comes back to you know why you're buying the insurance. You know some people buy it solely to cover the the taxes associated with their estate. Uh, some people buy it uh, to offset lost earning potential should they you know decease earlier than, than normal. And some people buy it to, to get as much compounding tax-free growth as possible. And so then they're maybe willing to pay a lot or, or invest a lot more than you another person. You can say person. it, pay a lot more for the insurance. You could say it. <laughs> well, it's, you know, we it's, see, Sean, how you're looking at this and how we look at, how we look at it's, it. It's about, it's about having that, that, that you know, appropriate point of view, as, as uh, Obi-Wan always said in Star Wars, from a certain point of view, right? And, uh, and again, yeah, some people consider life insurance premiums a cost. Some people consider them an investment, and it all depends on why you're buying it, what your outlook is. But the right amount is, you know, always dependent on that individual person's wants and needs. Uh, if they're solely looking to, you know, guard against tax, then that's that's what we base the, the needs analysis around. If they're saying, listen, you know, this is how much free cash flow I have. How much insurance does that buy me? Maybe that's the approach that they're taking. They're saying, you know, like I've got a dollar figure that I want to invest and instead of investing that dollar figure in, um, you know, a mortgage to buy another property or in a annual contribution to a TFSA and RSP or, 
into, you know, buying some more stocks or whatever. They're saying, I want to take that money and I want to invest in a life insurance policy, understanding that within there, there's tax-free compounding growth of, of excellent assets. And in the case of certain life insurance companies that have, have been managed and growing for 100, 150, 200 years. I mean, they're some of the oldest institutions that we have. In, Is there transparency in, in what they invest in? Because I, I think I get a statement that gives me some sort of amount of what the dividend would be there to get out or something, but it never tells me what what they're doing with their money. So I don't know if yep. they're they're financing Mexican drug lords or no, you, what they're doing. You can absolutely Cuz that's a good return, I think. And I think there's some some European the banks drug were, were business. I think I think the European banks were were um were, no, there was multiple. I don't want to say their names, no, but, but there, there was were, multiple banks that yeah. got caught laundering money for I, the laundering drug, is what I was looking for, uh, yeah. Drug cartels. So I mean, I, I know that the returns can be good. maybe cuz I'm I'm looking at these insurance companies, I'm like how do they get away with this stuff? They got to have a big law. Like they got to have their 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 hands in the government to be able to kind of get this. You know the way they're they're looked at, um, uh, like the the tax rules around them or things like that. It's because sure. everybody, be a, a everybody high level in the too. government has these policies. Well, yeah, so well, they leave I mean, them in place. Yeah. So, so I always like to I always like to give these two pieces of, of trivia because it's it's awfully you know it's 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 like a fun joke. And in fact, you know during COVID, uh, some of my friends have been getting together on Sunday nights and we do trivia. And I did a business trivia one one weekend. I feel and, like you're uh, much more culture, cultured than I am. Oh, definitely. For, maybe I just have more spare time on my hands, Tom. <laughs> but uh, at at any rate, I I, I put this one in, into the trivia. So. Does anybody know what uh, Sir John A. Macdonald, of course, who was the first Prime Minister of Canada, does anybody know what his uh, his day job was? Yeah, probably some life insurance guy. In <laughs> fact, he was the the first Chief Executive Officer of the Manufacturer Life Insurance Company of Canada. There we go. Now we is, know. Now which is Manulife. Manulife, exactly. So the very first CEO and, and, and Chairman of Manulife was uh, so Sir John A. Macdonald. So put it in there. Yeah. It's ingrained in the politics of this country. Sure, sure. And then okay, um, you know Jean Chrétien was uh, a long-serving uh, Liberal Prime Minister of the country. He was. And, How many terms did that guy get? Three, right? Uh, he, he was a three. What was in there? And, and then three no. for sure. I know he got three for sure. He was he was pretty high level in cabinet. Before. And then Martin eventually pushed him out, right? Mm. Yeah. And uh, so at, at any rate, uh, he married into a family called the Demeray family, and the Demeray family are, are you know very wealthy and successful uh, Quebecois family, and they own a company called Power Corporation of, of Canada, and within Power Corporation is Canada Life, London Life. Uh, Great West within, Life within Power Corporation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so no, they own all those. Who are these guys? So uh, you know you what can the clearly hell is Power Corporation. Yeah. Oh, I gotta look you can, that up. You can clearly see that you know within the fabric of Canada is a great history of people who are in, in the life insurance business and and you know God bless them. They've they've made it so that life insurance is a a very powerful and appropriate tool for helping Canadians plan their estates and, and plan intergenerational. I like it when wealth. you said God bless there, you put your hand up and look to the sky. That was a, <laughs> that was a real God bless right there. Um, well, we all, we all need to have planning tools. I mean, that's, that's the thing that, you know, the, we may complain about taxes and we may complain about the tax system, but at least there's a rule book and, you know, within playing that, that game, um, you know, you want to, uh, I'm a big fan of Formula One, and, and what they what they say in Formula One is you push the envelope as far as you can possibly push it within the rules and regulations, and that's part of being competitive. And so you watched the Formula One special on Netflix? Oh, that's sure did, oh yeah. Gosh, and, but you know that? what? That that actually did me a lot of help because my wife was not into Formula One, and then we watched Drive to Survive on Netflix, and now she loves Formula One. So it's it's great because I can watch it, you know, a lot more freely <laughs> than than I could before. There's so much more to ask you on just the investment side, but I want to switch to the borrowing side. How? how how is it that you can borrow? Like if you get a policy, let's use an arbitrary number. Um, you can, on day one, can I say, I need to borrow against that policy? If I remember correctly, a few years have to pass. Is it like five years? So you have to still make payments on the loan too. So then if you borrow on day one, you're going to be paying, you're going to have to make it's the payments. Negative. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate Nick bringing that up right away because I'm the cheap one. I always going to think where the money's going. Well, there's always, there's always two factors to any, you know, loan that a bank is going to make. One is your collateral and two is your ability to service that loan. So it's important to remember that, you know, if, if life insurance is the only asset that you have and you've retired and then you're going to go to the bank and you're going to try to get a loan on that life insurance, it's probably not going to go well for you because you don't necessarily have the income to support that loan. So it's important that you, you consider not just that you have a financial asset, but also that you have income to be able to service a loan as well. So that's, that's number one. So life insurance should always be part of a, a basket of financial assets. And hopefully those other financial assets are, are providing income so that you can qualify for a loan, right? And, and that's a term we use a lot in life insurance because again, with life insurance, you also have to qualify to get the life insurance based on your health, right? And so when you, when you bring a policy to a bank, it depends not just on what 
your policy is worth, but also what your other assets are worth. So yes, there is a strategy where immediately, it's called, in fact, it's called an immediate finance arrangement. You can bring the policy before you've even um, you know, signed and, and delivered the first check. You can bring that policy to the bank and say, I want you to be part of my strategy. I want you to help me fund paying for this life insurance policy. And if you have other assets that you can lean against, so maybe you've got an unencumbered property, maybe you've got a non-registered portfolio of stocks, you can bring those to the bank and you can say, take a look at my whole picture here and help me set up a line of credit that I can essentially pay for the premiums of this life insurance policy. And then what you actually want to do is take away some of your assets from here, sell them, pay for the life insurance policy with those, and then borrow an equal amount from the bank invest it because of course as we all know borrowing money to invest in in a uh, you know a rental property or in the stock market all those things are then a tax deduction so you can borrow from the bank to replenish those assets that you've previously sold to pay for the life insurance policy and then the life insurance policy also becomes part of your collateral pool and what you can essentially do is you know if you have a 10-year policy you can borrow all 10 years worth of those premiums from the bank and as the policy increases in value your other assets no longer need to become collateral and so your collateralization of these other assets come down as your life insurance value goes up and at the end of 10 10 years usually by the time you get to about your 13th or 14th year the policy is worth more than the amount that you've borrowed to pay for it essentially this is freaking me out because because <laughs> now you're telling me i can get another life insurance policy and before the first payment I can go to the bank and say, I want to borrow this money from this policy mm. and I want to go buy some assets with it. But I had to sell some assets to pay perhaps, why was I selling the assets Because again? you want so, to be paying. able to deduct the interest cost. And so yeah. if you sell one of your assets to pay for the first year's premium and then you've borrowed an equal amount back to reinvest yeah, in that same asset, then right. it becomes a, uh, a tax deduction because you've borrowed to invest. What percentage of the people that you've worked with like, have you seen actually borrow against these policies? I'd imagine the number's small because for most people, if you're getting one of these policies and you're making these payments, you don't have a need to borrow against it. Unless the super wealthy. Once you get into a higher level of net worth and you can do more of what Sean's just outlining, I'm sure they do it all the time. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to throw it at like a ballpark figure, I'd say maybe one in three. Really, that yeah. many? Yeah, yeah. and, and it depends. It, like, I was actually just about to bring up a strategy where, you know, one one person wanted to say before they've passed, they wanted to donate, you know, a million dollars, right? And uh, what we ended up doing was we ended up going through a number of different uh, uh, processes and, and talking to some accountants and, and looking at the, you know, the tax act. And essentially, we're going to be able to probably donate about four or five million dollars through life insurance. And he's taken this previous amount of savings that he'd set aside to use as, as collateral to help get a loan to be able to pay for the premiums associated with that policy. And when he passes and that policy is paid, it's going to be paid to a charity. And that will then give him a very large taxable receipt at that time. So the, the charity is not getting the money now. No, they are getting the money now because the they money, borrowed against it. They're getting the money in and the, the future. Bank He's, they're getting money in the future. Yeah, the charity is. And he's not even really paying for that policy because he's using this immediate finance relationship in, in order to be able to pay for the policy. So he's he's gone from having a couple hundred thousand set aside that he's trying to build up to a million to being able to say, well, I'm going to use that couple hundred thousand as collateral in conjunction with this life insurance policy. And when I pass, I'll have several million dollars that I can donate at that time. Got it. But not I thought you what you're about to say is with that original purchase, he was going to borrow immediately against the policy, give more money to the charity than he would have been able to. And then when the policy pays out, the bank would get it to pay them back for that extra money that he was able to give. Yeah. So the bank will need to be paid back, but the policy will be worth four or five times the size that the bank will need to be paid back. And then all that goes to a charity. And then that becomes a tax deduction at the time of, of passing. And so his estate has this huge taxable uh, offset from the, from the charity donation. At the same time, the corporation that owns the policy is also going to get a very large capital dividend associated with the death benefit that pays out. So not only do they have, they've got now two creations of, of deductions. They've got charity deduction and they have a very large capital dividend deduction as well. So there's- Sean, how old are you? 35? Uh, 34, gonna 30. be 35 in September. Your understanding of this stuff is deep. 
this is from your father so because yeah. because the level you're talking about now we don't meet many people talking at this level of understanding of corporations life insurance this is this is all just hanging out with your father well. because you didn't get it you're not an actor you went from not being an actor to understanding the financial system in canada at a pretty well, I mean, deep level i think uh thankfully one of the benefits that that you know i got genetically or from doing so much training when i was growing up in acting and, and memorization is you know the ability to memorize uh, these strategies it goes a, certainly a long way and then you know again thinking back to what does an actor do an actor continually communicates right that's what he's doing the whole time he's on stage is uh, you know communicating the, the the emotion the thought processes the story that's associated with the script it's the exact same thing when it comes to talking about life insurance strategies you know I, I've learned the rules I've memorized the rules and the strategies and then I talk about you know those those finer features of those strategies but then also i have to express the emotional satisfaction that a lot of my partners get when it when it comes to setting up these these policies it is a big deal you are you are bringing a lot of comfort to people's lives for sure with these kinds of things something i wanted to ask is i know we pay annually once a year mm-hmm. is that typically how these policies are paid that's always how i recommend people try to do it because okay, so there, there is, is a monthly option yeah there is there is a monthly option but oftentimes there can be a cost saving associated with uh, with paying annually and this is an important thing that i always talk about other people i i pay my home insurance annually i pay my auto insurance annually i pay any type of insurance that i have annually because often it can be six to eight percent less expensive than than paying it monthly, and so it's always good to investigate if you have the wherewithal to be able to do so. Oftentimes, it's the first year that's hardest to do that because after you've made that first payment, what you should be doing the very next month is monthly setting aside the amount so that when you get to month twelve, you've got the amount to pay the life insurance. Yeah, so it's the kind of the same thing, and I'm sure maybe the policy grows a little differently if you're paying in a lump sum because the money's working for you right away. If it's mo- well, uh, yeah, we could. Uh, yeah, I could see how that could work other ways. The question I wanted to get uh, next to you is that if someone borrows against it, sometimes it's for emergency reasons. So oh, we've right, talked yeah. we've talked all about like the strategic ways to build your wealth borrowing against it, but sometimes mm-hmm. you just need you have, there's a family situation and you need a lump of cash. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I talked about the immediate finance relationship, and and you know, Nick asked how many how many people do I have that that are borrowing against life insurance policies, and I said maybe you know one third, right? But in actual fact, how many people are doing immediate financing relationships? It's it's pretty rare. It's more the the other type of, of time that they maybe want to borrow against a policy. So, um, you know, let's say there's maybe one year where cash flow is down. It's a maybe tougher economic times, and and they're having uh, trouble, you know, coming up with the amount for their investment in that particular year. If there's sufficient enough value within the policy, they can borrow against the policy to be able to have that capital to make that, um, you know, payment for that particular year. Uh, and in that action, then they've borrowed against it. Do their premiums the next year change at all? Mm-mm. No. But then who? Because they're not borrowing from the life insurance company. They're going to borrow from a financial institution. Okay. And the financial institution is getting paid back because then part of the life insurance now is assigned to them once that life ex, uh, life insurance policy executes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's okay. right. Yeah. Okay. And so then they would they would have a, a loan that would then be paid back. They you know the person would have to service the loan in the interim, like pay the interest sure. costs. Um, they could choose to pay back that loan at, at any time. Should they you know have a, a resumption of their cash flow and an increase in their wealth, they may they may choose to pay down that loan. Um, so that's one. That's but one the bank's asking them to pay that loan from day one. The interest cost associated. The, the with interest that. only a part of that loan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but it could also be just for medical emergencies that yep. you need access to cash like uh, and, it, and i don't want to bring up any personal stories right now sure. but of people we know um but we know we both know that's been used for those cases absolutely and and i mean that also comes into a different type of insurance that, that you know both you and nick also chose to invest in which is critical critical illness insurance which can you know help pay out on certain health circumstances as well and that's again a tax-free payment at, at oh my gosh time. i don't even know what we've done so we got the critical illness because of that i thought the whole life insurance could be used for that kind of thing. so you, you can borrow okay the so whole life sorry insurance policy. you're borrowing against the whole life yeah. so if you want and i guess the story i was alluding to we know someone who borrowed against their whole life insurance so they could get some medical procedures done in the u.s that mm-hmm. had a certain cost with them mm-hmm. and that was able to help them get that cost and it, you know for some time it really worked out well for them in the whole bit mm-hmm. but you're talking about critical illness as another component so Sorry, go on. Yeah, that's just a different uh, critical illness. It's just a different type of insurance that helps guard against, you know, cancer, heart attack, stroke, and it's a tax-free payout at, at that time to be able to help mitigate those expenses. Um, you can also do it with a return of premium structure, so that if you never get ill 
and uh, let's say you know you, you you stop working and so you say well I don't need this this insurance anymore or, or you know even if you get so far as as you pass you know from you know sort of traditional you know quote old age rather than a, a triggering a, a specific event you can get your premiums back on that there can be tax advantages of doing that within a, a corporation where where that you know refund of, of premium uh, you know can help with withdrawing money from from the corporation with you know certain tax advantages but that's that's a whole another yeah, you know i was just gonna say if you're up for it i'd love to bring you back for another podcast to talk about that whole angle of insurance because we aren't we don't have time to touch on mm-hmm. this right now mm-hmm. and that's really important stuff as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah, absolutely so sean i we're gonna we're gonna wrap you're a, we could talk about this i can tell you can talk about this for a lot longer and i'm interested in this uh stuff thanks for kind of just opening this up a little bit to, to everybody. We mm-hmm. really appreciate it. You didn't have to, we didn't have to drag you down here to do this. So we're thankful for it. If anyone wants to reach out to you, do you want to, is it like an office phone number, an email address? What yeah. You, I mean, I mean, you're you know perfectly uh, able to contact me through, uh, through email. email. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's S M O I R. So S Moyer at Mandeville PC.com. And that's M A N D E V I L L E P c.com and what we'll do if you're listening to this and you're driving or something we will on the show notes of this episode we'll put the url to mandevillepc.com on there and i'm sure there's some contact information on there as well the only reason i don't want to put your email address out there sometimes you'll get some spam emails different bots will pick it up and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i don't want to put your straight email on there um but and we'll i mean put- i mean you, you and nick have been very generous to pass uh, you know names along to me through the years as well so i'm sure there's lots of people who listen to this podcast who are in touch with you um, you know, you know yeah they can reach out to us to the office here at Rockstar and we can kind of put you in touch. Um, Sean, anything we should have asked you that we just totally missed that's a big point that you wanted to express? Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is that when you're talking about permanent life insurance, um, it's, it's a commitment. Uh, it's something that you... Now I know it's 20 years. Didn't even, I had forgotten. <laughs> well, it's something that when you, you enter into it, you don't want to feel rushed. You don't want to feel pressured. What you want to do is you want to find somebody who you trust, uh, get them to educate you, and then you, you take that journey together as, as a partnership and you decide this is what makes sense for me, for my family, for, for the planning of our estate, and you want to really believe in what you're doing because it is a, a long-term commitment. And the only times that I've ever heard or seen people really hurt by, by this type of strategy is when they, they decide to abandon it, and they, especially if they abandon it early. That's where they, the amount that they've put into the policies, it's just not going to be returned to them. It's, it's not going to benefit Because what happens then? You just get your premiums back? You don't get uh, any? Sometimes. I mean, really what you have with a permanent policy is you have a, a cash surrender value. And, uh, oh, so cash, you might not even get what you've put in. No, no, not, yeah. no, not certainly not in the first number of years. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're fully committed to what you're doing. And, you know, it, it's an emotional purchase as much as it is a financial purchase because you're talking about your life. You're talking about your, your future. And, and so it's, it's a process that should be done with somebody who you respect, who you feel comfortable in your level of communication with them and who's, who's willing to take the time to allow you to emotionally and financially absorb the decision to move forward with the policy. And, and, you know, as a person who's going to invest in that policy, make sure that it's absolutely what you want to do and, and commit to it and, and see it through to the end. And again, that's why I always love uh, limited pay policies because there's that timeline, there's that end goal that's involved with it. And, and then it, it's a fantastic diversification to your asset class. It's, it shouldn't be the first thing you invest in. It maybe even shouldn't be the second thing you invest in, but it, it definitely should be part of your whole financial plan. Sean, thank you for this. Pass the regards to your father. Will do. And uh, we'll bring you back. This was great. Appreciate okay. it Thanks very so much. much Cheers. Hey everyone, it's Tom Crowds again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. Listen, if you are taking some value from these episodes and you haven't left us a review yet and you think we deserve it, if you could leave one wherever you're listening, I think most people are still listening it through some some type of iPhone or iTunes device, (laughs) Apple device. So if you think we've deserved it and earned it, if you could leave us a review, that would be greatly appreciated, whether it's on iTunes or anywhere else you are listening. These reviews eventually get back to us in some way, shape, or form and it really gives us fuel to keep doing this so if you think we've deserved it and earned it, if we could ask for that that would be fantastic thank you thanks for listening i think that's it for now until next time your life your terms